0: Hello everyone, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. We do thank you for sticking with us during this difficult period and we do hope that we're keeping you informed and entertained along the way as we tackle this one together. Joining me today is of course Gregor Robertson, but also today we have The Times Chief Sports Reporter Martin Ziegler. Martin, good to have you with us today. How are you?
1: Hi Natalie. Hi Gregor. Yeah, all very good. Um... I think very very busy, despite the fact there's no live sport. There's still lots to write about.
0: <laughs> Indeed, I'm going to get, going to get into uh, some of those issues a little bit later on this podcast. Um, Gregor, we've got to check in, and Martin, I'll be asking you about this in a, in a short while. How's those push-ups going?
2: The big five all got hit this morning. No, uh, incredible scenes, yeah. Gregor,
0: <laughs> we 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 asked for forty nine. You've given us fifty.
2: Uh, I hit them out, I knocked out of the park. <laughs> uh, can we stop Wonderful. talking about it now? Because I'm not sure I can go much further than this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how how shaky were
2: you getting to 50? Real shaky. I think Susie oh. was hiding her laughter from kind of. She was hiding behind the camera, suppressing her laughter. But uh, I got there, so I'm pleased and really delighted.
0: Well, do you know what? I'm really happy for you, but I'm not sure it'll be the last that we talk about it. Uh, Martin, I don't know if you're aware, but Gregor's been doing this sort of press-up challenge with his mates. Uh, do you fancy joining in at all?
1: Uh, can I get back to you on that? Maybe <laughs> in about, uh, a year's time.
0: Yeah, that's all right. Well, we'll come back to you uh, this time in 2021 then. Um, coming up, we're going to discuss 40 days and 40 nights without football. And Martin will tell us more about the ongoing political battle at Newcastle United. So there's lots for us to get through right after this. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books. Contact. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
3: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is
0: Today's UEFA Executive Committee meeting has been completed and we'll start today's podcast with some reaction to one of your tweets Martin that you've put out with regards to this meeting it's got a lot of football fans talking this is what you've said Uh, hearing UEFA's Executive Committee has just decided that if leagues do not finish then qualification for the Champions League Europa League should be on sporting merit, which sounds like it will be a points per game basis. Now we understand this would secure a Champions League spot next season for the Premier League's current top four then of Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester and Chelsea. Manchester United and Wolves would take the Europa League places while Arsenal and Tottenham would miss out on European football entirely if the current Premier League season is unable to be completed. Martin, we are starting to get some of the thought processes then coming through on the ideas of how next season will be impacted by this pandemic. Can you shed any light on how UEFA reached this decision that they've made perhaps on Champions League and the Europa League and how that will be, uh, how that will be worked out in terms of qualifying?
1: I think they've always been um, fairly clear that they, they they believe that, that there should be some sort of sporting integrity factors to the competition. So that if the, if for some reason a season cannot be completed and, we have seeing in holland and belgium for example that um, they're ending their seasons without trying to play them to the end um that they should there should be it should be decided on sporting merit now all uefa can do is is uh, rule and and guide about european qualification. so they can't they can't say it should be uh, points per game for everybody and the liverpool are champions and then the bottom three are relegated all they can do is stipulate what they want to happen for deciding who's going to be in the champions league so what i understand is that they're not going to be they're not going to be uh, quite as prescriptive as to say points per game but they are going to say it should be decided uh, on sporting merit and and it's it is just about possible that some a league could decide we we think sporting merit might be the um could be the the UEFA coefficient, but I think they would also they would take a dim view of that because you could have a situation where a club has a really really strong UEFA coefficient but has had a terrible season and might be in relegation trouble and it would be ridiculous therefore for the, for those to be put into the champions League next season. That's why it looks very much, much more likely that um, what UEFA uh, will do, because they they will approve this on a country by country basis, is that they will want to be satisfied that there is sporting integrity around the decision as to who's going to qualify for the Champions League next season if, if the regular season is not finished.
0: So, Martin, let's just clarify it. This suggestion coming from UEFA, is it it just an idea that they want to put forward to each league and then leave it down to the leagues to decide those final positions in the tables?
1: So it's it's actually guidelines for each league. So what they're saying is whoever you put forward as your clubs who are going to enter into the Champions League next season, you have to do that on the basis of sporting merit. And we will judge that on a case-by-case basis. Um, right. So if UEFA are not satisfied that it has been done on sporting merit, then they can reject it. So I, th- I think if any league, for example, did say this is the league table as things stand on a points per game basis, then UEFA would have no problem with that at all.
0: Uh, Gregor, it seems as though then we're sort of a step closer in f- seeing where and how leagues might end up. But do you agree with the system that UEFA are suggesting?
2: Yes, I think uh, this, this is the way really to decide if seasons can't be finished and it's looking increasingly likely, certainly at lower levels. you know, We've spoken about the Premier League potentially finishing in sanitised stadiums and whatnot behind closed doors, but everywhere else in lower down it's certainly looking harder and harder to finish, uh, finish season. So I think this is the fairest way. I think the reason for that is because it balances the scales in terms of if teams have played different numbers of games but it also uses, you know, what has what has gone before to decide the future. Um, so, you know, it's it's imperfect, but there's there's no perfect solution at the moment. And I think it is probably the fairest fairest system.
0: Martin, a word maybe on Manchester City. I mean, how would the Premier League make a decision on their European future?
1: Well, I, th- I think if uh, the Premier League doesn't finish the season. And they they put through the, the the top four based on points per game. Then uh, it would if if the UEFA ban is still outstanding against against Manchester City, then they wouldn't be able to play, and it would go down to the next team, which would be Manchester United.
0: Right. So you've mentioned the other suggestions of maybe using a coefficient, but there has flaws. There's flaws with that. Uh, there's also the decision, possibly, or suggestion, possibly, of actually just putting forward the teams that were in the Champions League this season into next season. So that would be Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham uh, and Chelsea. Martin, Gregor sort of said that he's happy with the suggestions being put in place that UEFA have mentioned. If the Premier League season cannot be completed, what do you think this best system would be?
1: I don't don't see how you can um, do better, really, than than points per game. I mean, the Times did, about three weeks ago, we did run a, a mathematical model. From a, a New York um, maths professor who, who who's actually sort of calculated what he thinks is the fairest way, looking at all the matches that that have that been played, so weighted so that if you have to play Manchester City, obviously you're you're less likely to win than if if you're going to play Norwich City. And um, actually, he he came out. His result was that the Premier League table is should at the end using his model is exactly the same as it is now. Oh. Um, which was quite interesting so on the points per game there would be a couple of movements I think um, the Wolves would drop a place for example and I think Arsenal would go above Tottenham on the points per game basis um, mm. but uh, yeah under the uh, under this, this mass model actually there would be that would there would be no movement at all which is really quite interesting um, and also it, I mean, I think that the, the more tricky one is, is is about relegation, and that's where mm. I think there will be a lot of um, people being very upset um, if they uh, if they get relegated on on a points per game basis or or any other um, way of of calculating it. But um, I think uh, that's that's probably going be to be the biggest test for the for the Premier League. Not so much who's going to get into the Champions League, um, but mm. who's going to get relegated.
0: Yeah, if, if indeed
1: if indeed anybody is.
0: Yes, that is true as well. I mean, they could just null and void the whole thing altogether, I suppose. Uh, Gregor, it's 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 interesting because um, I was reading about the Scottish Junior Football Association. Association, They've ended their league season early and they've decided to go down a points-per-game basis with all football in Scotland uh, for, for those leagues. And it means there is such a side, uh, and forgive me if I don't say this right, is it Ochenleck Talbot, who have been crowned the champions of the West Region Premiership, despite the fact that if you look at the table right now, they're third, 12 point 12 points off the top, and have played barely half of their league games. Just looking at that alone, you think, well, it's just gone balmy.
2: Yeah, I mean look, like, there's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be the odd anomaly like that. Then that's that sounds pretty ludicrous, really. But the, most leagues, you know most major leagues are they're, they're fairly well balanced. There's only the odd game here or there that teams are uh are out of kind of sync out of kilter with and if you look at, I mean, Scotland is a bit of a basket case, I'm happy to say that. <laughs> you, you look at uh, yeah. look in the Scottish Championship now and Partick Thistle have been relegated when they've got a game in hand over the team above them, Queen of the South, uh, who they're two points behind. So, you know, th- those kind of anomalies, are that's hard to take. Uh, so this at least does offer some way of, of, I know you can't play games that don't exist, but it, it kind of balances out the level uh, the number of which number of games teams have played um and, and if you you know the other option as we 've seen in the lower leagues uh from step seven down, I think it is was just to completely expunge all the mm-hmm. results and and teams like Jersey were already mathematically promoted <laughs> no longer are so there's no uh, this is the best it 's kind of a middle ground it 's the most sort of practical and reasonable method of Side in the season that can't be fit, it looks increasingly likely can't be finished, and it seems to be that realization seems to be dawning on clubs and leagues from the bottom up. I think the Premier League will be the last one, partly because of what Martin alluded to there the the prospect of having to relegate teams uh, and the money involved in that at that level. Um, they really are going to hold on for as long as they can to see if they can finish the season, but I think increasingly leagues are going to be ending.
0: Uh, Martin, just a quick one then on the Premier League. Um, uh, I presume the footballing minds are all coming together. They're already having discussions of the inevitable if the season isn't completed.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, that's that's very much in the back of everybody's minds. But um, I think I think that, they're, that they're, in recent weeks and well, more in recent days, rather than recent, there has been an increased hope of that being able to happen in, in the Premier League. Because of what's happening in Germany, um, you know they've they've really pushed ahead with this. They're they're planning to come back in in on May the 9th. They've got a really really detailed plan of action um, about how how these games can be staged in, in empty venues, uh, and I think that's something that not just the Premier League but the other Spain, Italy, uh, and France will also be looking at as well. Just a in the hope that they can replicate this get the season finished rescue that 762 million pounds of, of tv revenue revenue that they're they're worried about losing um so there is some hope but in the back of that there's there's also a, um a fear that that may not be possible because they're you know we are a month behind germany we haven't got the amount of tests that they've got uh yeah. and it's um so it, it, it's a difficult one nobody wants to make any decisions now about what if um because they want to give it they want to wait and give it the best possible opportunity to try and play it out
0: yeah be interesting to see what happens that's for sure uh, talking big Bucks, Why don't we talk about Newcastle United? Uh, last week on the podcast, we discussed Mike Ashley's imminent departure from St. James's Park as he prepares to do a deal with a Saudi consortium headed up by Amanda Staveley. Uh, Martin, you've been writing about this this week, uh, about the potential stumbling blocks in place of this takeover. For Newcastle fans who will be listening and who may well be hoping this one gets signed and sealed, how close do you think this takeover is?
1: I mean, I think it's it's going to be a decision in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I think it's probably likely that that, that, that that it will go through because, although the Premier League is feels a bit queasy about uh, about it, I actually, um, as the former FA chairman Greg Dyke pointed out in the Times today, the, the owners and directors test is so feeble that it's actually quite difficult to prevent anybody from unless you, <laughs> unless you've actually got a a, a court conviction against you it's actually quite difficult to prevent anybody from taking over a football club um so it's uh i mean the, the premier's lawyers are looking very very closely at the whole issue about the saudi arabian piracy involvement in par pirating premier league matches i mean it's, it's bizarre in a way that the premier league a few months ago was putting out statements saying that they have been trying to take legal action in saudi arabia been prevented from doing so that there's no, they have no doubt that the the, um, state-owned satellite broadcaster Arabsat was was, was transmitting these pirate broadcasts. And now it's having to um, decide on whether it should approve the sale of Newcastle to the uh, sovereign wealth fund of the country, Um, which is, it's such a bizarre circumstance. But, you know, they, they're also very worried that if they do reject it, and it's not a watertight decision, then they're going to be on for a massively costly legal fight.
0: Well, we should mention, of course, when you're referring to the streaming services, in Saudi Arabia, there is a Be Out queue, which deliberately mocks the name of Be In Sport, which is the Qatar-based broadcaster who themselves have uh, written to the Premier League urging them and all 20 clubs to block the Newcastle takeover because of the piracy issues and bear in mind they pay 500 million pounds in a a three-year broadcasting deal for uh, their football games to be shown in Qatar. Um, Could a dispute Martin over TV piracy though really stop the sale of this of Newcastle of a Premier League football club?
1: well so if you look at the owners and directors test there is it was toughened up a couple of years ago so that it, if if it, if any of the owners are are involved in behavior abroad which would be regarded in the uk as an offense of dishonesty then that could um, prevent them being approved the question is whether the saudi um, government should be deemed to be, have been Providing a safe haven for this piracy, and because the Saudi government runs the sovereign wealth fund, uh, are they or are they sort of should they be should they be viewed as the the owners a of of Newcastle and b as the, the people who've been fostering this piracy. It's it's really really difficult to to actually judge. Um, I'm glad I'm not the person having to make the decision. <laughs> but I mean, it is definitely a, a big financial threat to the the Premier League, though, because it, it's being sport covers has the TV rights for the whole of the Middle East. It's a it's apparently the biggest broadcast partner. It said it's it's had to lay off twenty percent of its staff because of the piracy already last year, and that it's going to have less money to. To buy Premier League TV rights in the future, if this piracy isn't tackled, so it might be that the Premier League would say we will approve this, but they want to have some sort of um, acknowledgement from the Saudi Arabians that they're going to they're going to shut down the operations that are in existence now.
0: Do you think they actually would do that? Do you think they um, are strong enough to speak to? the Saudi Arabian government and, and insist upon such a thing?
1: I certainly think they could ask for some reassurances about it and, and see what happens. I mean, if if the Saudi Arabians refuse to um, enter into the discussions, it's not going to help their case very much.
0: <laughs> very true. Gregor, I mean, I know we spoke about this already, but when you think about the background of the Saudi investment in Newcastle, do, do, does it make you feel uneasy at all?
2: Oh well, yeah, I mean, I think it's got to, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh... I think Martin hit the, the nail on the head there. It it's also seems it says, seems to say quite a lot about elite football these days that the potential kind of standoff between or or difference of uh, views in, about this uh, between Qatar and, and Saudi Arabia um, is the thing that could potentially strike a blow to this deal and not the fact that uh, this is essentially a, a nation-state buying a football club, but a nation-state with a Pretty abhorrent human rights record, Um, but as as Martin said, there's there's no no aspect of the owners and directors test that that that, that, that asks the question if you are are you a country or what's your human rights record and what are your motives i.e. sports washing. So Mm. this has crept up on the Premier League, but it's crept up pretty slowly, and and it does make you wonder where you know there's a kind of I don't know this kind of wrangling over Newcastle United. Uh, between two Middle Eastern countries, uh, where this all might end up, you know, where's this going to end? Um, it, 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 undoubtedly, it has to make make you feel uneasy. Um, and you know, if we spoke last week about how we can understand how happy Newcastle United fans are going to be to, t- or would be, to see the back of Mike Ashley. But if they're not questioning the moral compass of their new ownership, uh, then they need to have a close look at themselves. I think.
0: But I suppose, Martin, when you look at owners of other clubs, you can question all of them in, in some ways, or a lot of them. You know, Roman Abramovich and where his money has come from. Even the Sheffield United owner is from Saudi Arabia, and yet they've all been allowed to take over these clubs.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's it, it, it's about somebody's nationality. Um, so the, the, the Saudi owner of Sheffield United is not the sovereign wealth fund. He, you know, he, he's, a, he's a Saudi... A businessman, I mean, he's connected to the royal family, but he is not the Saudi government. Mm. Um, the Newcastle takeover is the Saudi government. It, it's like Qatar's um, the, the, their ownership of Paris Saint Germain. It's it's this, it's Abu Dhabi or the United Ab- uh, Emirates. Um, their uh, ownership of Manchester City. So uh, it, 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 there's a difference between the 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 Sheffield United situation and the proposed Newcastle situation.
0: Well, some of the figures behind Newcastle's proposed takeover are simply eye-watering. For example, the main player in the consortium is the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who has a net worth and family wealth of just one point four trillion U.S. dollars. Pocket change to most of us. Uh, so, if money is no object, Gregor, do we expect the takeover to be the end of Steve Bruce, or do you think they might actually give him a chance?
2: Uh, I mean, history would <laughs> would tell us mm. that that um, unimaginably wealthy foreign owners buying a football club for the first time, big ambitions and plans, uh, probably wouldn't be good for old Brucey. Uh And I would have a lot of sympathy for him. I think everyone has been surprised by how, w- how well he's done in terms of, you know, Newcastle are 13th or eight points above the relegation zone. Um, and... And given the circumstances in which he's he arrived and and he sort of you know he was hardly serenaded when he walked through the door, um, and even after doing an admirable admirable job, I don't think there'd be many tears if he was shown the door either. So, uh, I would definitely feel feel sympathy for him. But as I say, if you look at look at uh, the past and even when when uh, Sheikh Mansour bought bought Manchester City, he felt someone like Mark Hughes was on borrowed time. Um, you just feel that there's going to be a there would be a fundamental change of direction and ambition uh, within the football club, and that would probably spell the end. Not immediately, perhaps, but certainly not in the dis- too distant future of of uh, Steve Bruce. I think.
0: Mm, I mean, I guess Martin, when you've got well trillions in the bank, as we've just mentioned, you do want a glamorous name to head up your management at a club.
1: Are you suggesting Steve Bruce not glamorous?
0: Well, I mean, he certainly knows how to wear a tracksuit. I just don't know if he fits the bill.
1: I've never seen somebody eat a a bacon sandwich more glamorously than Steve Bruce. Oh,
0: super. I mean, I I think everyone likes Steve Bruce and I'd love for him to be given that opportunity to stay on. But you do have to wonder whenever there is a takeover of a club, whether they just want to bring their own man in.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can see it, can't you? Some sort of like top European manager um coming in whoever i mean i I, i'm just like plucking names out of the hat but you know (laughs) when you saw mancini when he arrived at manchester city that sort that sort of figure Mm. somebody who was a sort of very very high profile european top coach lots of pedigree and yeah as you say lots of glamour probably doesn't eat bacon
0: sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) no maybe not but there's nothing wrong with a bacon sandwich obviously
3: To find out if it's right for you,
0: let's end the podcast on maybe a bit of a, a high note in, in terms of marking that it's been a full 40 days and 40 nights since we had live football in the UK. For most of us at the time of our last game, we obviously wouldn't have realised that we'd be bidding farewell to it for such a long time. So I thought, why don't we relive it, relive our last piece of live football that
2: we saw? Gregor, what was your last game? My last game was Sutton United versus Hartlepool United. Uh, oh, yes, when the National Gan- League was still continuing. Indeed, yeah. At Gander Green Lane, uh, 1-1. And it was a very, very bizarre experience. You know, it, f- all football had shut down around it, essentially. Um, and even a lot of games in the National League were kind of falling the morning of that game. I, in fact, I was supposed to go to uh, watch Woking instead and then... That game was cancelled, so I had to kind of change direction in the car, um, and it, it it was very strange. It felt like it shouldn't have happened. That's the first thing. Um, mm. And it also feels amazing that that was only forty days ago. <laughs> yes. like we, we lived a small lifetime in in the intervening time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, I, it does seem very distant now. And and uh, and that was although that was a strange day. It was kind of it did feel like you know a little bit. Like you you knew you were witnessing the last, last live football you were going to see for, for quite some time.
0: See, that's, I imagine, what would have been so strange about it. Because you went there knowing, yes. inevitably, we might not be seeing football for, for a while. Whereas, for example, with me, I went to Griffin Park at the beginning of March. And it was Brentford against Sheffield Wednesday. We won 5-0. I don't know if you're aware, but at Griffin Park, because it's our last, I say, our last season there because of our new stadium that we've built, Um, we have a countdown clock where they get different people to kind of lift it off to tell you how many games are left at Griffin Park. And I got the opportunity to lift off the number six to reveal that we've got five games left. And you sort of think, how bizarre that that now is kind of paused And we don't know whether or not we will get back to seeing games at Griffin Park as such. Very strange times, but it was a great game, I have to say, and a a good old thumping of Sheffield Wednesday, who I've always hated us playing. Um, (laughs) Martin, what about you?
1: So my last game was actually uh, watching the pool and Wharfdale under-16s play deadly rivals Horsforth in the... Garforth and District League in Leeds. Um, I was going
0: to say this sounds like a Yorkshire battle.
1: Yes, it, it was indeed. <laughs> no, so, yeah, I was, my son was playing and uh, it was a, um, a hard fought contest, and 10 man Horsforth <gasps> grabbed a 1 a 0 win against my son's team. So it was, no. uh, it, yeah. Um, So it was, yeah, a a bitter defeat. And everybody, social distancing was already sort of taking on. So everybody was like standing a couple of yards apart on the touchline and no shaking of hands and that sort of thing. Um, But so we all, everybody sort of knew what was coming and also knew that this was probably going to be the last live sport (laughs) that we're going to be seeing for a long time. So there was a sort of poignancy about the whole whole afternoon. But, uh, yeah, so it is, I mean... uh, as much as we miss um live live sport on tv or going to watch it actually for me that i what i miss more is is live grass street because I, I really like yeah. watching junior football i really like watching um sort of amateur rugby and that's sort of obviously that's all closed down as well and for people yeah. not just playing it but uh, not just watching it but people take part in it too
0: Mm, yeah and i suppose when you're so heavily involved in it as you still are and you've already told us you're still very busy you can't really miss the premier league and everything like that because you're still writing about it there's still stories it keeps on giving
1: it's uh, do, uh, do you know what i've never been busier than since <laughs> the, the lockdown started it's because it, it, there's so many things about you know events being cancelled and how it's going to restart if it's going to restart what the fin- financial effects of this whole crisis is uh, not just football, but across all sport, and, uh, and and then also the world keeps on turning with things like the Newcastle United story. Yes. So uh, yeah,
0: yeah, still very busy. What about you, Gregor? Then what are you missing? Um,
2: I think it's the kind of emotional pull of it all, and, and also the structure in that. Even you know when when I finished playing football nearly four years ago now. Um, that was that was the that was the one. Th- I, I don't know. The, the, football had always provided a structure, and then when I moved into this, you know, everything revolves around going to a game on a, on a Saturday in a weekend, and and then sort of analysing it afterwards, and, and then preparing for the next week. So that's completely gone. Uh, weekends are very weird, <laughs> um, mm. and I think that's the biggest thing for me. It kind of it just feels like a bit of a, a limbo, and because the football calendar for my entire adult life has been has been what I've kind of has pervaded a structure
0: yeah and that makes absolute sense do you know what I miss as well is is that it is that structure it is that also going to Griffin Park and being amongst your family and your friends that you obviously sit with when you're a season ticket holder as we are and and just seeing those same faces I mean I, I I don't get to see my I haven't seen my brother for ages and uh And I do see my parents every now and then because I drop stuff off for them. But we stand very far apart. And that's what I miss that close contact with my family and friends at games. So, goodness me, I hope it returns soon, all safely, of course. But, um, yeah there's plenty I'm sure that everyone's missing out on um, for now though many thanks to you Gregor and to you Martin you may find yourself with more time on your hands in the coming weeks so do remember you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it is just a pound a week for an 8 week trial just search the Times subscription for more information we will be back with you on Monday for the very latest game podcast enjoy the weekend ultimately stay safe